0: Nobody needs a straw to drink or the vast majority of people don't. Anteaters do. Anteaters do. They have an inbuilt straw which is rather right, which is right. rather handy. See, I'm not a scientist.
1: Welcome to Sustainable
2: 93. 93. Where in the name of Sir Walter Raleigh are we?
1: Very nice, very nice. We are in the august surroundings of the Royal Geographical Society. The Royal Echoey Society. The Royal Boomy Inner Swimming Pool or Toilet Society uh, in that there stinky London. And we are here because we are here to do a rather special interview with a rather, rather special person. And that person is the science and wildlife presenter, Liz Bonin. Ooh, uh, off of telly. Off of telly. She has done loads and loads and loads of things, most recently a series called Galapagos. And that is very fortuitous because today, on the day we record this, is Galapagos Day. And Liz is here to do a talk to interesting, clever um, articulate people uh, about the Galapagos and specifically uh, what's happening there in terms of pollution as well as all of the wonderful stuff that's going on with conservation. So we
2: came here to talk about it with Liz and she was very generous with her time. She was indeed. So we are Sustainable We are your weekly comedy podcast all about people and politics and the environment and stuff and just the usual disclaimer that although we do work for environmental charities uh, these are very much our own views and of course liz's own views so any problem with anything what we say take it up with us but oh don't you dare take it up with anyone that we work for otherwise we won't half get cross
1: with you all right uh, so this is our interview with liz do enjoy it it was lovely speaking to her she is excellent
0: So, hello Liz. Hi, how are you? Very good, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I've just arrived at the Royal Geographical Society for, for Galapagos Day, so I'm quite excited. Um, it, it's Everybody knows about Galapagos, everybody thinks about Galapagos as this uh, wondrous, pristine place um, that um, is on most people's bucket lists to go visit, and... Um, Yeah, today is about celebrating um, how beautiful the place is, Uh, the conservation efforts um, that are concentrated in this beautiful island chain, but also today is about discussing how Galapagos is straining under the pressure of the modern world. Um, It's not immune to the human footprint, and uh, we're going to to discuss what we can do to make sure that the beautiful wildlife that lives on Galapagos um, has a more secure future. Um, at the moment, it's not looking as positive as it used to, and it's our responsibility to to fix that.
2: So I, I have a terrible confession to make. Um, well okay no, I did I'll didn't <laughs> had to look on a map to see exactly where the Galapagos was and it wasn't quite where I thought it was I thought it was a bit more in the middle of the sea-ish but could you paint a picture for our listeners of firstly where it is Oops. and also then what it's like what it looks yeah. like do you know,
0: know you're not alone it's, it's people know what Galapagos is but, but a lot of people um, would uh, uh, struggle to find it on the map so don't worry about that too okay. much <laughs> uh, but <laughs> yes it's off the coast of Ecuador so it's part of the country of Ecuador And it's a collection of uh, a few large islands and then many, many rocky outcrops. There are three main towns in Galapagos, but 97% of the islands are reserved as a national park. So nobody can live on, on, on those bits of land, which is great news for the wildlife. And it's really down to the fact that Galapagos is geographically very remote, so it's been sort of removed from the rest of the world for for, for a long time um, and remained in a way unaffected by our modern life. that keeps it pristine, but also the fact that it's located at the confluence of these incredible currents that come in from all different directions that bring with them all these nutrients. And these nutrients upwell and create this incredible uh, food source for an entire chain of wildlife. And um, that's why so many different species thrive on Galapagos. There's a great wealth of biodiversity um, on the islands. And And the last piece of the puzzle, in a way, is the fact that these are dynamic islands. They're volcanic so they're constantly in ge- in geological terms it's in, in very in a very uh, short space of time they're sort of rising up out of the oceans and then sinking back under the waves and that creates this dynamic system whereby animals have had to adapt quickly and change and evolve in ways that are fairly surprising and unusual compared to the rest of the planet and, and, and those three factors are essentially what makes the Galapagos so unique and wondrous
2: so was the Galapagos where, where Darwin Darwin was inspired to write about the origin of species and evolution, and wasn't it there that he got that idea? It or?
0: certainly was the the, the the location of the beginnings of of what led to this incredibly revolutionary uh, theory. What what started Darwin thinking about the the origins of life and the evolution of life, and it's 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 for that reason that the spotlight has been shone on Galapagos from such a long time ago. Um, And it's the reason why I got to know about Galapagos. I was obsessed with Darwin when I I was growing up and sort of read about his journey on the beagle and his experiences with the wildlife there. There's a beautiful story of him trying to figure out why marine iguanas kept on coming back out of the water. Um, This would not be acceptable um, uh, for a biologist to do in this day and age, but he used to just, they used to walk up and, and be completely unfazed by him because the animals in Galapagos are unfazed by humans. Back in the whaling days, they were persecuted, but then there was this massive period where, you know, the animals, never learned to fear humans so these marine iguanas would sort of rock on up and sit beside Darwin and he'd pick one up by the tail and chuck it into the water and two seconds later the the, the iguana would come back up again And Darwin was like, is is that because there's a lot of predators in the water? Or what's the reason for this? And um, it's all to do with thermoregulation. The waters in Galapagos are very cold. Reptiles are cold-blooded. These marine iguanas have evolved to swim and feed in the waters, which already is quite extraordinary. But they can't thermoregulate. So they've got to get out of the cold water eventually and and warm up. Um, No matter how
2: many times Darwin chucked them in. (laughs) He
0: repeated Like a good scientist, he repeated the experiment (laughs) and, uh, and got the same results. Please, Mr Darwin. I'm really cold. Stop chucking me (laughs) in the water!
1: So, um, it's certainly renowned as a magical place and a, and a pristine place in many um, ways, but I guess one of the reasons you are talking about it here today and that there is attention on it is because it is no longer unaffected by, by humans. Is that correct? And if so, what's going on?
0: Essentially, yes. I mean, um, it's only been inhabited by, by the human species uh, relatively recently um, in, in, in considerable numbers. And it's... I underestimated um, how much it's now being affected um, by the modern world. We were out there in 2016 um, filming a, a, a documentary series on an expedition, on an incredible research vessel, and we were surrounded by... Um, experts in their field, all these different scientists who are studying different aspects of Galapagos, and it was an incredibly informative, exciting journey. But for every species we were looking at, for every part of Galapagos we were looking at, there was unfortunately a a sad story behind it. So, for example, Scalatia forests, which are these huge, giant daisy forests, for want of a a Mm -hmm. better uh, word. They're they're incredibly beautiful um, forests, only a tiny patch remains because All of these other species of trees have been brought in and are out-competing endemic species. So these are species that are only found in Galapagos, and there are thousands of them in Galapagos. Also, Galapagos is now feeling the effects of of pollution, particularly plastic pollution. So a lot of the marine life is under threat from mistaking plastic bags for jellyfish, for example, and and ingesting the the bags, either choking on it or, or dying from the fact that their stomachs are filled with plastic. Plastic is broken up, it turns into microplastics, which affects the entire food chain. So uh, there is a a big focus on that at the moment in Galapagos. And uh, not only that, but... Climate change is affecting these incredibly wondrous cold currents that are the life source of Galapagos. Now that the waters are warming up, that's changing the entire food chain there as well. So Galapagos, for the first real time in its history, is facing a huge amount of threats that it never had to deal with before. Um, And a lot of its species are under threat. So it's something that scientists are uh, turning their attention to um, and, and, and trying desperately to find solutions to before it's too late.
2: So this is going to be making its way into our listeners' ears round about the time that the new Blue Planet series is on BBC, about which we are very excited, aren't we all? We
1: are very excited, yes. 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 Um,
2: And uh, David Attenborough has been talking a lot about plastic which is something you've just been talking about and we're trying not to freak out too much at the moment yes yeah unsuccessful failing failing but trying so what can be done make us what can we do about plastic in the sea because it's something that is a huge problem you've talked about it it, it is what a huge problem
0: um and 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 if sir david speaks about it people listen so thank goodness we have a voice for the planet in this extraordinary man um Two facts that are slightly shocking, and then I'll tell you what. you know. It's not all doom and gloom, because it can't be. We've got the propensity to, to solve uh, big problems. We've done it before. We can do it again. But what shocked me um, about the situation with plastics at the moment is that by 2050, there will be, it's predicted there will be, as many pieces of plastic in the ocean as there are fish if we don't do something to turn things around. The other fact that's, that's quite shocking is that... Um, it's estimated that about 8 million metric tons of plastic are dumped into the ocean every year. So that's equivalent to an entire garbage truck of waste being dumped into our ocean every single minute. Oh. That really puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Um, but just like everything that uh, we faced as, as a race on this planet in the past, we, we, we can prove, we have proved, that we can turn things around. So just... Um, Focusing on Galapagos, for example, uh, today uh, on Galapagos Day, we're having a chat with a panel of experts about the plastic problem. And having spoken to them in advance, you know, there are so many things that we can, we can do, um, not only with respect to the manufacture of plastic and with respect to how we use plastic Uh, especially. So our perception of plastic is very much one of, it's a throwaway, easy thing to use, um, and it sort of fits into our consumer culture. But actually, there's a lot of work being focused on changing how we use plastic and how we think about plastic. So... There is hope out there. There are positive things being done across the world because scientists are really sitting up and paying attention. In fact, scientists have been paying attention to this since the 1970s. You know, they started recording the, you know, plastic in oceans since then. Unfortunately, sometimes it takes the rest of the world and governments in particular a little bit longer to respond because as we all know, this is all about economics at the, at the bottom line, okay? That's what it's about. But really aside from what scientists are doing and to me they are the heroes of the planet. Wherever I go, I spend my life traveling around the world looking at what they're doing to better understand the planet so that we can take better care of it. That's that's what scientists do. They they, they find out the answers to all the questions we have about the natural world. So aside from the fact that they are working heroically to solve this problem. Like they're trying to solve all the other problems that we've caused over, our, you know, during our time here. For me, what's really important is for us all to think about what we can do starting today. And Sir David was, mentioned this as well um, recently. You know, climate change is, is a more complex, difficult thing to solve. We can solve it, but it's going to take um, more time, and it's more complicated to tackle. But plastics, we can all do something about it starting today. So for me, I go around telling, you know, all the school kids that I give talks to, and even today, I'll be, I'll be going on about this. Here are three things that you can do starting today. You can absolutely refuse to drink with a straw. Nobody needs a straw to drink, or the vast majority of people don't. Anteaters do. Anteaters do. (laughs) They have an inbuilt straw, which is rather rather (laughs) handy. I'm not a scientist. (laughs) But um, in the UK alone, from a fast food outlet that's very popular that starts with an M and has a big arch as its emblem. Which one would you say that is? No, I don't um, know. 3.5 million straws are thrown out every single day. 3.5 million straws. And that's just in one fast food outlet. So for me, one quick fix solution is no longer use straws. Also go into your local pub, your local restaurant, your local fast food atlas and say to the manager, hey, stop using straws. Now, Weatherspoons has just banned the use of straws in its 900 pubs around the country. I think that's extraordinary. I think it's a great example and I think we all need to tell the rest of our local restaurants, etc., to just do the same thing, to follow suit. And the other thing that we can do immediately is, which I have, is buy a a reusable plastic bottle, uh, eco-friendly one that doesn't leak horrible chemicals that you can use forevermore, um, because it's something like 35 million plastic bottles are chucked out every day in the mm. UK okay and the third thing is I have a clean canteen I love it it's cool looking it makes me feel good to go into a coffee shop and ask them to put my coffee into this reusable coffee cup we use about 8 million coffee takeaway cups every day here in the UK and only 1 in 400 are actually recycled properly these are three things that each and every one of us can start doing today to solve the problem of plastics so that less plastic is dumped into the ocean. And the rest then is up to scientists and communicators to solve the bigger problem of removing the plastic that's in the ocean. And we're working hard towards doing that. But that, that, to me, is promising. And you know what? There's a, I feel good about walking around with my reusable plastic bottle and my reusable coffee cup. I feel like I'm doing something. It's very in. <laughs> it's, well, you know what? If it's trendy, so be it. Let's go with that. You know, Let's make it cool. But ultimately, I can't lie. I go home feeling, you know, I've done my bit for the planet today. You know, And that, that's what's important. Each of us playing a part starting this very second.
1: Stupid question, Alerts.
0: Uh, Is all the
1: plastic that's going into the ocean, is that people standing on the coast throwing it into the ocean? Or is the stuff that I throw away in a bin in central London, is that also finding its way into the ocean. That
0: is really not a stupid question at all. How does so much plastic get into the ocean? I have wondered that, and I've asked some experts. I'm really sorry to ask you a naive question, but are we just all dumping, is every country dumping you know, so much plastic that it contributes to this 8 million metric tons of plastic that ends up in the ocean every year? And the answer is actually a bit of what you, you supposed. So you have some countries that have pretty effective waste management systems, but they're just sort of, they're overflowing. There's an overflowing. And ultimately, bits of plastic are flying around the place or rolling down a a road, ends up in a stream, ends up in a river, ends up in the ocean. It's sort of as crazy and as, as silly as that. And then you've got some other countries that just have incredibly ineffective waste management systems where you've got an overflowing bin of stuff that will never really be emptied properly and taken somewhere. And so eventually that just ends up in the ocean. Isn't it crazy to think that that's how so much plastic has ended up in our ocean and that we've done nothing about that for such a long time? time. It's, it's nuts, which, isn't
2: it? Which is why the using less in the first place bit is the relevant part, right? Because even if you've got the best clean-y-uppy system in the world, stuff still might just fall out of it and go well, in the water.
0: Well, it's uh, like everything else with, with something so complex, you know, it's going to have to be a, a sort of a multifaceted approach, right? You're going to have to fix up your waste management system because that's just not acceptable anymore. But also from the source, we're going to have to change the way we use the plastics. Never mind how we throw it away and then there's the manufacturers. Stop making plastic, you can't recycle. Like, there's a so many things that we we should be doing and then ultimately that the bigger challenge in a way well equally big i would say is how do we get the plastics out of the ocean the plastics that's that's there at the moment particularly microplastic and that's probably one of the more difficult challenges right especially the little small pieces very big sieve a very big sieve see the really tiny bits Uh. you know sir david again mentioned when he was in school he had a science teacher Uh, when he was a small child who walked in and went Children, I have the most amazing news to tell you We have just made this most extraordinary, revolutionary material Plastic, it never degrades, it's incredible And all the kids were really impressed by it Sir David remembers being impressed by it And now look at us, it doesn't degrade So it'll break down into these tiny little microparticles That will be taken up by filter feeding animals And go all the way up the food chain in the marine web How do you get rid of that? That's the big challenge for scientists, isn't it?
1: So you've been to the Galapagos, seen amazing things, seen seen scary things, it sounds like, um, and been all over the the, the rest of the natural world. What what are your hopes um, and and what are your fears for... Um, I don't know, the next 10 years, 20 years in terms of the natural world? Well, I'll start
0: with maybe my fears and the more negative aspects of, of this problem. But don't worry, there are also a lot of positives. I do have such an amazing job. I get to travel the world and ask all the questions I have about the natural world to experts in their field. And... You know, wildlife is extraordinary. Our planet is extraordinary. But unfortunately, at the moment, most of these experts are telling me, either on camera or most of the time off camera, that it's, it's, it's pretty grim. The future isn't looking too great for this particular animal or this particular area of, of, of wildlife landscape. Um, and that can be really depressing, I'm not going to lie. And, and a lot of conservationists are struggling with their jobs because sometimes the problems seem insurmountable. Oftentimes, I have to say. Um, but what keeps me going is, first and foremost, the, the majesty of what I've gotten to see. I mean, it's really hard to put into words some of the things I've seen from the bottom of the ocean to a a snow-covered forest uh, that, that is, you know, Amur tiger habitat to elephants uh, at sunset, drinking from a watering hole. To, I mean, my, yeah, it's it's really difficult to, to describe what that does to you as a human being. And so that gives me hope because I'm not the only person who feels that way when they're in nature. And then I've also met those very same people who are working tirelessly, sometimes with very few resources, with very little funding, to save our wildlife. And they're never going to give up. And you know, it's the Sir David Attenboroughs and it's the Jane Goodalls and it's the Silver Earls. It's these people that make me believe that we can turn this around. If we were all horrendous and nobody, uh, we were all the same, nobody you know, really cared about the planet we were heading downhill, well, then I wouldn't bother. But I've met far too many human beings who are just so amazing, who renew my faith in human nature, um, that I know we have it in us to turn things around. And you know what they say, that idiom about you have to hit rock bottom to really kind of make it, to climb out of uh, whatever you're in. Perhaps the human race had to hit this rock bottom, this sort of scary place we're in with respect to plastics and climate change and the future of the planet as a whole, to really realize what matters. And so I'm going to continue shouting it from the rooftops. Hopefully as communicators we'll, we'll get better at, at, at telling the, the, the truth of the situation without being too scared about putting off our viewers um, and I just want to ca- carry on celebrating these amazing people because when, when you see them doing what they do and when you, when you, when you set eyes on some of the wildlife um, that's out there that's just as inspirational as it gets and I think that's, that's powerful enough for us to, to turn this around in the future.
1: Liz, thank you so so much for giving us your time and um, and explaining in such. Uh, beautiful ways uh, some of the problems facing us and some of the hope that, um, that shines through you um, where can people uh, follow you keep in touch with what you're doing are you on Twitter I'm on the
0: Twitter sphere at Liz um, I'm sometimes on the telly uh, shouting <laughs> about all the animals and the places that I love but yeah Twitter is the place to, to find me and I've also got a, a website with lots of pictures of my travels Liz
2: Wow, that was lovely, wasn't it? It was lovely, it wow.
1: was lovely. Um, what a fascinating person with so much insight and wisdom and warmth and really, I don't know for, about you, but for me, you've painted an incredible picture um, in a way that's sometimes hard to do with words, isn't it? We're used to seeing this stuff on telly, but words is
2: hard. Yeah, incredible picture. What do you reckon then, though? Because I had a thought. In the middle of you this. had a thought. I had a thought. And the thought was this. So I do think that we need to use less plastic and stuff. Yeah. And all of that, like, you know, asking companies to use less plastic, using less plastic giving scientists more chance to use their brains and that sort of thing. That's all very important, and I do get that, right? But it seems to let an awful lot of people off the hook, if you want my opinion, Mm. like the people who make plastic Mm -hmm. and the government who (laughs) regulate what plastic we can use. And I get that she's not going to say, like, you know, government should close down the plastics industry, but... I think the government should close (laughs) down (laughs) the plastic.
1: Yeah, I I agree. Well, Liz did touch on it. She did say that uh, some of these big corporates uh, need to be making more recyclable plastic. Um, And I suspect that, you know, had we asked more in depth about that, she would have talked at a greater length. But it is, there's always the danger with this stuff, isn't there? That people go away thinking the solution is, oh, I must buy fewer plastic bottles or I must remember to take my reusable coffee cup with me all good things. Meanwhile, Coca-Cola making billions of bottles that are plastic and non-recyclable every single day when coca-cola used to sell all of their stuff in glass bottles mm. that you could recycle and that they you know you paid deposits for and stuff so yeah,
2: toys were made of wood wouldn't they as well but they were yeah, yeah, yeah. better and then, than it was
1: <laughs> let me tell you it is remarkably hard to find wooden toys these days although you can um, so i do think yeah i, I think in the, in the list of things what people can do you should put quite high on that list get involved with an organisation that is taking it to the corporates because they they shouldn't be let off. And there, there was a remarkable thing recently in that their parliament where somebody from the plastics industry admitted that, yeah, they definitely could make bottles that were 100% from recycled material and recyclable, but they were worried it might look a bit cloudy and therefore the contents wouldn't look as good. So, you know, they're not going to. And someone pointed out well, what about cans? You can't see inside a can, and that doesn't hurt people. The point is, like, the industry know exactly what they need to do. They're just choosing not to, um, and that, I think, needs confronting. Done with this sort of thing. Careful now.
2: So, um, you know how last week in episode 92, you had like a freakout, and I supported you like a good friend and didn't call you uh, softy? You remember?
1: I do remember, yeah. Yes. That was nice. Yes. Although now it feels less nice. <laughs> no,
2: no, I'm still going to be nice about it. I just want to know whether or not having listened to Liz talking about the beauty of the Galapagos and then the fact that we're nosing it up, but then the fact that we can do something, but then the fact that actually it's quite depressing. How do you feel now? <laughs> How's your mood at this particular moment?
1: Well, I mean, my, my base level terror is is still there. Um, I mean, two things really struck me in what Liz said. One is the frustration, which I've held for a long time, that all of these scientists and all these presenters are having these conversations off camera about how terrible the situation is. And then they turn their smiley face on for the camera and go, Don't worry, it'll all be fine. Uh, which, to be honest, you know, charities do as well. Uh, so that made me not scared, but angry. I was like, Come on, there's got to be a space for that. The other thing, though, which I think she's totally right about, is to focus on the sheer number. Of brilliant people who are totally, totally committed to sorting this out. Me and, and you, like me and you. And one of the dangerous things about anxiety and getting scared and stuff is that you start only thinking about yourself, and you only read stuff on the internet, and you stop recognizing the mm. sheer number of brilliant human beings who are doing amazing things to fix this. And yeah, so I do feel genuinely uplifted about about that. Um,
2: clearly, though. We're still knackered. Right, well that's just about all we have got time for. Thank you all for babbling. Thank you Liz very 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 much for babbling with us. We do appreciate it. And for all the wonderful work that you do. Thank you Liz. And thank you as
1: ever to the magnificent Dickie Moore who does the music at the beginning end, and
2: into twinkly bits of this podcast. He doesn't do the helicopters, though. Sorry if there have been helicopters in the background. We, we, we're somewhere near where all the royalty lives. And probably one of them has just done something silly and has had to be, you know, taken away. So that's <laughs> Philip, what's Philip, Philip, don't say... Right, get the helicopter for Philip. Helicopter for Philip! <laughs> You can get in touch with us, tell us what you thought of the show. You can find us on Facebook, just search Sustainababble. We're on the uh, Twitter, like Liz, at <laughs> hello, no, at, <laughs> like Liz, at 93 episodes <laughs> you've been talking about our Twitter handle. Come on, you can do it. At the Babble Wagon, and you can send us an email uh, to hello at sustainababble.fish.
1: Right, I'm off to go and find a marine iguana and repeatedly throw it back into
2: the sea. Metaphorically. Metaphorically. All right then, bye-bye. Bye!